Well, folks, Misha Arish, Jerry Adamson Shaw, Augusta Sola Gomsa, Goel Shibsha, Gomoy. So, where to start? Well, what about a wee story about uh, our dogs? Our oldest lad's oldest lad loves dogs. And so do his sisters, especially the youngest one. And she has a way with her when she's with her canine. Fia is her name. The dog that is not the oldest lad's oldest lad's youngest sister. His dog's called Finn. Although when they wrote his name out for his collar and on some official forms, I spelt it Fionn. The dog can't read or write, so he doesn't know the difference. I prefer Fionn, although I call him Finn, same as everybody else in the clan does. Finn can do many things. For example, he will go and get his lead and arrive in with it in his mouth when he's looking for a walk. He's also learned how to open the latch on the gate. He sneaks into the kitchen to steal food. He can swim like a seal. He will chase a pucked slither until he can run no more. But he's very tolerant of the children and gentle with the oldest lad's oldest lad. He's taught him many things, and for that we give thanks. However, he can't abide other dogs, except Fia. I blame a wee local antisocial terrier for that. When Finn was a pup, this wee skitter of a cardy mutt did a Judas and savaged him. Finn still has the scars on his jaw from that attack. And understandably ever since, he can't abide wee terriers, once bitten, and all that. He is getting a wee bit contrary as well as his facial hairs turn grey and his doggy ears mount up. But like many other old lads of my acquaintance, any kindness to him is rewarded with overpowering demonstrations of love and devotion. Fia is much cuter than Finn, and she's far smarter and more biddable, but not as fierce even though she can bring out his more protective traits. When the two of them get started barking and shouting, they would put the fear of dog into any would-be attacker. Our dogs have a great life. They sleep a lot. They are well fed. They work regularly. They do shed hair. Despite frequent combing and brushing, they and the oldest lad's oldest lad and his younger sister are often, not his younger sister, his youngest sister, are often in trouble on account of the doggy hairs which accumulate in the backyard occasionally. Apart from that, they live happy lives. They bring joy to our oldest lad's oldest lad and his siblings, especially his youngest sister, and the rest of us. I could never imagine life without a dog, They're always glad to see me. And you're also never alone with a dog. So thank you, Finn. Gorila, my ugat, Fia. Long may you live the good life. On a more serious topic, for a brief two weeks ago, for a brief time two weeks ago, the horror of our 20 first century coffin ships in the Mediterranean Sea caught the media headlines. A trawler filled to overflowing with desperate people sank off the coast of Greece. Over 500 people drowned. Many were trapped in the hold of the ship. 
This was the latest tragedy in a sea that has become the most dangerous route for refugees fleeing violence, hunger and destitution in their own places. And then the story disappeared. It was replaced in part by the loss of a submersible off the coast of Newfoundland. Five people on a tourist died, dive to the wreck of the Titanic died as a result of a catastrophic implosion. The USA and Canada and others mobilised their extraordinary resources in a search and rescue operation that went on for days. The story was told and retold from every conceivable angle. Speculation was rife about the technology and the design of the submersible and its ability to repeatedly dive to such depths. All of us, including this podcaster, thought of the families involved and sympathised with them. Thousands of miles to the east, the deaths of hundreds of people has all but been forgotten by most media outlets. The European Union and the states along the Mediterranean coast continue to pursue policies that bar, that block, that exclude refugees. The double standards of governments that correctly mobilise search and rescue resources in one place and withhold and block these same much-needed search and rescue supports in the Mediterranean is a shameful reminder of an absence of compassion and humanity. It's long past time for the European Union to honour the human rights principles and commitments and provide the resources and policies that need and are needed to help refugees. And it's also long past the time for the government in Dublin to raise these issues in a principled and assertive and consistent way. Talking about consistency, last June, Michal Martin, who was then Taoiseach, attacked the decades-long neutrality policy of the Irish state. He claimed, and I quote, We need to reflect on military non-alignment in Ireland and our military neutrality. We are not politically neutral. And Deputy Martin cast aside any pretense that the people should have a say in this when he said, We don't need a referendum to join NATO. That's a policy decision of government. Several months ago, he established a consultative forum on international security policy. The last of three forums took place this week in Dublin. Last week, one was held in Cork and another in Galway. An Octoron, Michael D. Higgins chose in an interview two weeks ago to challenge the government's decision to open up the debate on neutrality. He criticised the make-up of the forum and expressed his concern that the Irish state is drifting towards NATO and accused it of playing with fire. A recent opinion poll confirmed support for the President's position. It recorded that two-thirds of the South's population support the current position on neutrality. Less than a quarter of people were for changing it. So instead of retreating from neutrality, a sensible Irish government should be building on the nation's positive contribution in the United Nations and moving to enshrine the principle of neutrality in the Constitution. An independent Irish foreign policy with equality and humanitarianism, with peace-building and cooperation at its core, can play an important role in an increasingly tense, fragmented world. Neutrality is not a policy of indifference or isolationism, or of staying aloof from the troubles of the world, 
Positive neutrality means playing a constructive role in promoting human rights and freedom, defending people from oppression, advocating for peace and participating as peacekeepers in United Nations efforts in the Lebanon, the Congo, Chad, South Sudan and elsewhere. Regrettably, the government's forums are less about public discussion on this important matter and more about attempting to shape public opinion in the direction of reducing neutrality and embedding the state into NATO. This direction of travel has been part of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael's strategy over recent decades. They've done this in a number of ways. Firstly, instead of pursuing an independent foreign policy strategy, for example, in support of Palestinian rights, they've handcuffed the state to an EU foreign policy agenda that refuses to challenge Israel's apartheid regime. They've also supported measures like ending the search and rescue operations in the Mediterranean that saved thousands of lives in the past. Secondly, successive governments have under-invested in the state's defence forces. Consequently, it's unable to monitor Irish airspace or seas and cannot secure the state against modern threats. And finally, there's Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael's endorsement of membership of NATO's Partnership for Peace and the EU's Permanent Structured Cooperation, PESCO, structure in which the armed forces of most EU states pursue structural integration. Instead of holding a talking shop, a government that's serious about charting the future would chart a course of foreign policy and would try to involve people in an independent foreign policy position. Why not establish a Citizens' Assembly with maximum public and political participation to consider all of this? In the meantime, the task of Irish Republicans and others is to defend neutrality and to ensure that the Irish government raises its voice against oppression, poverty and war and for peace. And I thought, just given that subject and given that issue, I'm stumbling here with my iPad, that I would uh, give you a wee verse or two, not singing, a wee verse or two of a wonderful uh, poem, a recitation, written by the great late Luke Kelly of Dubliners fame, and it's called For What Died the Sons of Rising. For what died the sons of Rising? Was it fame? For what died the sons of Rising? Was it fame? For what flowed Ireland's blood and rivers that began when Brian chased the Dane and did not cease, nor has not ceased, with the brave sons and daughters of 16? For what died the sons and daughters of Rising? Was it fame? For what died the sons and daughters of Rising? Was it greed? Was it greed that drove Wolf Tone to a pauper's death in a cold wet stone? Will German, French or Dutch inscribe the epitaph of Emmet? When we have sold enough of Ireland to be but strangers in it. For what died the sons and daughters of Rushing? 
was it greed? To whom do we owe our allegiance today? To whom do we owe our allegiance today? For those brave men and women who fought and died that rising live again with pride, our sons and daughters at home to work and sing, her youth to dance and make her volleys ring, or the faceless men who for mark and dollar betray her to the highest bidder. To whom do we owe our allegiance today? For what suffer our patriots today? For what suffer our patriots today? They have a language problem, so they say. Hard to write, no trespass, must grieve their heart full sore. We got rid of one strange language, now we're faced with many, many more. For what suffer our patriots today? Thank you, Luke Kelly. There you go, maybe the... uh, Top notchers and RTE would consider the lyrics of that song or of that uh, poem. So, Shin Shin, Akarja, the Sulagom go May Shibsha Gumoi, August Tor Ira. Enjoy the games over the weekend, over Sunday, and take care of yourselves. August Chiefy May Shibsha, the Kunabja, Arish, Slan August Balakht.